as entrepreneurs, we kind of create problems out of nothing. Sometimes I'm always looking for opportunities to level up, sophisticate, optimize. And that was right at that seven year mark where I noticed it wasn't like, we need a new process for this. We need a new person for that, right? It was more about how do we get better with what we have? CEOs often feel stuck in the grind of scaling their business and feel like they're missing out on the best parts of life, like family, friends, or travel. On this podcast, CEOs come to take themselves and their companies to the next level. Let's dive into the millionaire mind with your host, Dallin Schultz. Hey, welcome back to another Millionaire Mind episode where I have some of the most successful business owners sharing what motivates them to get out of bed every morning and how they elevate themselves and their companies to the next level. And I've got another incredible guest joining us today. Such an important aspect of business is your brand and how you're perceived to the general public and the consumer. Your brand is really an extension of who you are as a business owner. And with strategic advertising and marketing, you can get your brand in front of your ideal customer so you could serve them as you initially set out to do. Our guest today has not only achieved this in her own company, but is now on a mission to assist others to do the same thing. So let's get into it. A special welcome to our guest, Veronique James. And you go by V, correct? Everybody calls me V and you're welcome to do the same. Love it. Thanks. V, thanks so much for joining us today. So why don't you just take a few minutes and share with our listener a little bit about who you are and what you do today, and then we'll take it back and we'll talk about your journey. We'll go back in the time machine. Sure. So thank you for the introduction. I appreciate it. And for having me as you mentioned, own the James Agency, more fondly known as TJA. We are a full service advertising agency and public relations firm. We prefer the phrase integrated. Uh, Integrated is a bit different than full service in the sense that yes, we do support all facets or disciplines of marketing. However, from an integrated perspective, we really start with the research and the data we seek first to understand. So contrary to a lot of agencies that come up with a cool concept and kind of throw it on the wall and say, this is awesome, let's run with it. We like to really dive deep into our clients' businesses and understand what are the challenges they're facing, the pains and the gains. We're understanding consumer journeys and opportunity audiences before we make some of those decisions as to how we're going to communicate with them into the market. And what that translates to is that no-risk value proposition. So these campaigns have efficacy, they last longer, which turn generates results, which everybody wants, you know, put a dollar in, get a dollar out or $2 out, whatever that may be. And more importantly, it creates a solid relationship between the agency partnership and the client. We have clients three, five, 10, 12 years, which is pretty incredible. So, and that's a testament to doing great work together. Today, the agency is over 40 creative thinkers. We're headquartered in Scottsdale, Arizona. We have a few remote and then a few overseas that puts us just around 45 members and we're exponentially growing. Um, We just signed an expansion lease, move into an additional 4,000 square feet within our building. So been a really epic year for the agency and we're excited about the future. Me, uh, I am a mom of two kids, eight and nine years old, and my husband is an entrepreneur himself. He works more in the corporate commercial real estate space. Um, He just recently went through a transaction, so it's really interesting to see the contrast of my business and the way that you know we work with clients and have these really deep-rooted relationships and contrast the Fortune 500 companies, right? So I wake up feeling very privileged to be able to have the experience that I do every day. So the agency today, we love the phrase B to H and B to H is business to human. A lot of firms will say, 
well, are you B2B, business to business, or are you business to consumer? And pre-COVID, the agency was predominantly uh, about 60% hospitality, food and beverage, entertainment, destination travel. And as you can imagine, March 17th, that fateful day was hard for all agencies, um, but it was really tough for us as well. And so we really concentrated on diversifying our portfolio from a recession-proof perspective. And then also we recognized as an agency that we have the opportunity to translate this formula that we understand so well to all businesses. So connecting businesses to humans is our objective. And you mentioned the brand. The brand is a promise of what's to come. It's not just a cool visual tactic or a marketing strategy, right? It's a connection between the experience and what's happening within the four walls. So the agency is coming up on 19 years, which is pretty incredible. I just dated myself. I am the sole founder, self-funded, debt-free firm, really pride myself on heart-centered leadership. And this agency has won best places to work year over year because it truly is a testament to my leaders. And I have some executive staff that have been here for 10, 12, 18 years, which is also very unusual in our space because we'd have a tendency to, I think in the industry, human capital has a tendency to burn and churn pretty quickly. So it's a very special place to work. And I do not take that for granted at all. No, it sounds absolutely incredible. And you mentioned some things in there. So I come from a medical background. And as you were talking about what you do for your clients, immediately what my mind went to was you're going in and you're diagnosing your clients. I use that analogy all the time. So that's an awesome, awesome reference. Yes. Where I, I could see it could be easy for some firms similar to yours to just go in and say, hey, here's a package. Let's mm-hmm. just apply it and go. But it seems like you take a more holistic approach or you really get in, you really try to understand the needs of your clients, and then you develop a, uh, we'll call it a treatment plan, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, based, based on their their needs and their pains so that they can recover uh, and continue to to do well as a business. So I thought that was very neat. And I absolutely love your B to H. And that's something so small as that, I think really ingrains into people's minds, especially working in your company. And if you're able to instill the business to human connection with the people within your company, that's just going to carry over to your clients and the work that you do for them. So that's incredible. So it sounds like you're still definitely in a growth mode. So excited to hear at the end of this episode, want to hear what's upcoming and what's next for the James agency, but let's take it back. You said you've been in business 19 years. So way let's, back. let's take it back. When did you realize that you had this entrepreneur spirit or drive within you? You know, I never in my wildest dreams imagined that I would be leading a group of such amazing professionals and working with such incredible businesses, making impact every day, right? That is truly fulfilling. I went to the University of Arizona with a graphic design degree, um, actually graduated with a visual communications degree. So it's a bit of a hybrid of business and graphic design. And pridefully, I use my degree every day, which is pretty cool. Not very many people can say that. And shortly thereafter, found myself here in Phoenix working for a female-led boutique firm. I think there were seven people at its largest. So incredible opportunity because One, I knew I wanted to be a designer, but to be able to work in an agency, um, being able to wear as many hats as I did and be exposed to so much of the operations and the way that the company sold and had the communication with the clients, especially under female leadership was just amazing privilege. 
And then furthermore, what I loved about that is the client roster that this agency focused on was much more luxury, so high end. And so these clients really valued beautiful work and intrinsic thought process. And as a junior in the industry, you don't get that opportunity right out of the gate. You're typically working on the low pile. Um, I hate to say this, but like trash for cash stuff, right? And I had this opportunity to be trusted with some amazing brands. Um, and shortly thereafter, I was recruited to a larger firm. doesn't exist anymore, but here in downtown Phoenix, um, at the scale, which is really an interesting reflection for me at its largest is the size that we are now, which at the time, I remember thinking, wow, I'm working for this big company. And now I'm looking back well over now you are years that big ago. Company. We are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and lots of tenured members, incredible talent, big brands. I was working on some large hospitality flags and spa. Um, incredible experience as an art director to be part of this experience of contributing to these large companies as a creative, but I felt a tremendous disconnect between what the client wanted and what the agency was producing. And then furthermore, there was this friction of value perception. And I think that was a testament to a little bit of the way it was being communicated, the clients and proposed. And there were so many facets there, right? But as a person who was bleeding over this work, right, I was so passionate. And then for the client to say, like, how did this take so long? Or why does this cost so much money? That's just like a stake in the heart for a designer, because you're like, no, but look at how amazing this campaign is. And there wasn't transparency there. And there were some other things that were happening within the culture that I was like, oh, I don't know, this doesn't feel right to me. And simultaneously, uh, on the personal and extremely vulnerable side of this story, I had gotten married really early out of school. And um, about a year into the marriage, I was learning um, about my partner and he was leveraging my credit score. I was very blessed to leave school debt-free. I was leveraging my perfect credit score to pay off his own debt without my awareness. And so remember, this is pre-Credit Karma and all of these automated systems that makes it so easy to see how you're doing in your financial health. Um, it really put me in a place of scarcity and I had to file a divorce and it was on my own dollar. There's a lot there uh, personally that if you had five hours, I could share with you the story. <laughs> but um, at the time as a young woman, that's a hard thing to go through, right? To think that you've created a, a life for yourself and a life partner and you've got a good day job and, and to realize that, you know, a big part of your personal life is fictitious, you know, it's built on a, a false premise of trust. And then, um, you know, I was, I was starting to feel unhappy at work. And so I, what I did to make up for these extra expenses to support me, you know, dissolving my relationship and finding a place to live and a lot of things um, is I started to freelance on the side. So, you know, I'd go to my day job from eight to five and then I'd come home and I'd eat dinner. And I was really lucky. I had people that were supporting me through this journey because remember I had like no cash. I had zero credit. I went from an 800 to a 400 without me even knowing no access to credit cards or anything like that. It was too late for me to be proactive. Um, so I was freelancing. And so I went from working on these beautiful big brands and I come home and I work on the neighborhood window washer business or the tanning salon that was in my grocery parking lot, friends that were trusting in me to support them. And I started to build like a pretty perpetuous little side hustle, right? I was billing pretty well and started making some money and I was finding a tremendous passion in doing good work for these people who in contrast to my experience working in my corporate job, really found value 
and appreciation and wasn't challenging on cost analysis and, you know, time. And, and it got to the point where this little book of business of mine was overcoming my ability to do my job well. So there's no time like the time of desperation when your life is in full turmoil to make that big decision to kind of blow everything up. And so I respectfully resigned from my role at my agency and had tremendous support from my colleagues, which felt amazing. When my two weeks were up, I woke up and I got dressed and I walked right across, you know, as if I was getting ready to go to work and I got showered up and put nice clothes on and I walked right across the hallway and I sat down at my, I was living with my cousin at the time temporarily and I sat down at a kitchen table and opened a computer that a friend had lent me and I put in eight hours just like I would have. And truly the rest is history because there was no looking back at that point. I think for me, you asked me if I've always envisioned being a leader Something I've learned about myself, especially as I'm coming to motherhood and leadership is when I'm provided failing data, I really use that to empower myself to do better, right? So if there's feedback there, I kind of turn up the volume on myself and that's a competitive nature that I really never knew was my superpower. So about, gosh, I would probably want to say six to eight months later, you know, I've built this book of business and I'm doing everything by myself. And I have some fun jokes, the DIY bootstrap, a client would call and I'd answer the phone in a British accent, pretending I was, <laughs> I was uh, a receptionist and I put the phone down and I picked back up. I got called out for that. I got caught. You know, I built my own website and I do my own press checks. And when clients would say, oh, we'll come to your office. I'm like, oh, no, no. It's part of our value that we come to you to save you time, right? I was always looking for the way to act as if. And I think that's my first point of reference for people who are starting a business is the perception is only what you make it, right? The value and how you show up. And so I always wanted to come off larger because I wanted to sell trust. And I felt that if it wasn't just one person sitting behind a computer, that maybe people would feel more inclined to engage, right? A sophisticated business. And it got to the point where I couldn't do it all by myself. So I found a friend who could do some web freelance work for me. And then I found a friend who was doing some creative and, and all of a sudden it was like a boy band and myself, like I had seven contractors helping me out and, you know, we all worked from home and it was fun. It was so fun, fast and furious. It was like the boiler room. It was so great. And a very good dear friend of mine calls me one day and he says, Hey, I'm going to resign from my agency. I hate it here. And I'm like, trust me, I totally get it. I've been there. And he said, do you mind looking at my portfolio? I'm going to start interviewing in the next week or so. And I'd really like you to crit my work. And I said, sure, I'll critique. Absolutely. But first, I've got an idea. Why do you come meet me? And we have this local breakfast place here that's really well known here in Phoenix. I said, come meet me for breakfast. And uh, we'll go over your portfolio, but I want to share with you what I'm working on. Like, all right. So we meet for breakfast and we end up sitting there for almost seven hours. Oh, and I tell him, I tell him about my vision and I said, I want him to come along. I want him to be a part of this journey. And he had just gone through kind of the similar issues that I did about, you know, toxic culture at his agency and clients being frustrated. And I neglect to mention, we both graduated from the UVA. He was just a couple of years older than me. So we had both been trained by the same professors around ethical, creative and business. So I said, come along this journey. I said, I can't guarantee what it's going to look like in a year or even five years, but right now it's working. And I'd really like you to be one of my founding partners. To this day, Shane Tang is our chief creative officer. He's been with me since the inception. He doesn't have equity or ownership, but he is definitely a vision partner, a founding vision partner, and continues to be leading to my yang, right? So he believed in me and 
we built this together and I believe in him. So he now sees one of oversees one of the largest departments and books of business within the firm, which is really unusual to have, as I mentioned, tenured leadership that has been with you since our humble beginnings. The company started to grow, right? It became a thing, which is crazy. You're welcome to interrupt me at any time. I do want to go back and touch on a few things because you're just obviously you're so passionate about this and I love it. But I want to go back to a few things that you touched on. Number one is the unfortunate relationship that you went through. They were dipping into your credit score. In my experience interviewing a lot of successful business owners on the show, there's almost always, whether they shared or not, there's almost always a very difficult circumstance situation that that, that they have to go through. So looking back, I'm sure you can appreciate that experience as bad as it was because it likely got you to where you are today. But share with our listener kind of what were your thoughts in the moment? And then how did you take that event and turn it into a strength to to really push you forward? At the moment, it was scary. I remember vividly sitting in my living room, my cousin's living room, and I didn't have any money in the bank. I mean, it was like I was you know, working and I was paying out these fees and trying to support you know this transition of my life. And I had a bottle of wine and a bottle of ketchup in the refrigerator. That's it. You know, I really couldn't feed myself. And I had a meeting the next morning for my personal business and I didn't have any gas and I'm looking for quarters. I mean, I'm literally just scraping whatever I can. And I was like, man, like, I don't like feeling this way. I don't like feeling this way. I need to make something change. And so I sat in a swamp as my friend Lauren calls it. I sat in the swamp for a couple of days and I was like, okay, you can either just be giving yourself self-pity or we can do something about it. What I can tell you, fast forward 20 years later, is because I didn't have access to credit, because I didn't have access to credit cards or capital or whatever it was, and it was self-funded, taught me how to run a very nimble agency from a cash perspective. So we didn't get our first credit card until seven years into the business. That's how long it takes to recover, right? It takes a long time. So everything that we did, we bought ikea furniture or used computers and we were very thoughtful about not overextending the business and that taught me a lot of lessons because as you can imagine we've been through multiple downturns 2008 crash right and then of course 2020 and so the agency still today runs in a debt-free capacity we have zero debt and we're a multi-million dollar business running at a high percentage ebitda and profit and when COVID hit um my competitive landscape, unfortunately, because it's very hard to run an agency, did tons of furloughs and layoffs because it was so unexpected. I prayed about it, thought about it, and decided I have enough rope to maintain 100% of our staff, not do any pay cuts, and keep these people busy. But I had to set a deadline in order to make sure I could accomplish that, right? And because of that, you know, we did keep everybody working during that very hard time and keep everybody... And I learned from my early beginnings of that very tumultuous time, like you said. So that one event, that core pivotal milestone, which felt like it was life-changing and challenging, and I sat in the swamp, actually became the pillar of how I orient myself to finances and the business and loyalty, right? So to your point, I think entrepreneurs have that moment of like, oh man, it's sink or swim. What am I going to do with this information? One, and those are my thing. those are my favorite stories, right? I, and it's so it's so powerful. And this comes up a lot on this episode or on this interview is mm-hmm. things happen for you, not to you. Right. And and I'm sure we've all been in those situations where 
we're having a bad day. A client bails out last minute. They didn't stop, whatever it is. And we're like, why? This sucks. And you like have that moment of sitting in the swamp. What I have to do is take a deep breath and say, okay, what am I to learn from this? Yeah. And just taking that perspective really helps kind of flip the script on the situation and allows me to, to get back to work. And it's those people that are able to keep viewing these tough situations as learning experiences that compound these moments. And it doesn't happen overnight, but within a few years of all these experiences compounding, they finally hit that breaking point. They hit that mm-hmm. breakthrough point that really gets them to that next level. So I appreciate you sharing that. And there's something else that you mentioned too. I've been through this. Some of our listeners have been through this. A lot of our guests have been through this. They went from a W-2 corporate job to ultimately you're your own boss. There's no one telling you what to do. Share with us a little bit about that experience and that transition. I went to school for art. Okay. I had no idea what it meant to run a business or finances or a P&L or taxes. I didn't know any about anything. And I just kept following my intuition, but um, I talked about that boy band, right? Like all of my friends and cohorts that were supporting me in the growth of this business. And the powerful thing about that is we all had a shared vision to do something different, right? We all had come from kind of disparate and challenging corporate jobs, but they were looking to me to be that North Pole or that that light for, you know, a sustainable income. There's a tremendous amount of pressure there. And I have been so lucky because people have been put in my world at the right time. I was working closely with an introduction CPA, like a contract CFO CPA, and she's a female business owner. And she said, the government doesn't love that you've got like seven W or, you know, 1099 employees that have 40 hours of work that, you know, basically you just need to convert these guys to W2 employees. And I'm like, "Ah, what does that mean? Like, I don't know what kind of responsibility that was because at the time it was just all gravy. There was no overhead costs, taxes, all the things that uncle Sam requires. Right. So we converted them. So all of a sudden I go from this one woman shop with very little liability to an eight person bespoke boutique agency. Now I've got to find an office. Now I've got to do payroll, right? I've got to get insurance. I'm like, oh my gosh, the compounding needs that came with that. But as I mentioned at the top of the conversation, I never really looked back. Um, Can I tell you that I knew exactly what I was doing at every single minute? No, I had no idea. I was trusting my gut. I was doing research. I was like, you know, somebody would say something like, okay, now I need to go. I'd be like, oh yeah, absolutely. And then I'd have to go and figure it out myself, you know? And I bootstrapped and DIY'd the heck out of this business. I mean, for the first six or seven years, I was doing the billing myself. I was doing the invoices and and that's okay because it taught me. I got a crash course. But I think my most pivotal change was when we hit a million dollars of revenue and I was introduced by a friend. I was within a philanthropic 501c3 that I was contributing and volunteering for. And this gentleman said, Hey, I've got this group. It's called EO. And I'm like, okay. And he said, it's called Entrepreneurs Organization. It's a global group of business owners. And the qualifications are you have to be a founder, co-founder, or majority controlling shareholder owning an agency of a million dollars of more or more a year. And I was like, okay, I'm like, I don't have time for this. Like I barely have time to brush my teeth. And he's like, no, this is why you need EO because you don't have time. And this is going to teach you how to be on the business, not in the business. So I kind of kicked the can down the road for a few months. And then it just felt like everybody kept turning the volume up. Like I kept hearing about EO, that blue car theory, while all of a sudden I was very aware. 
and I applied and I got in. And what I didn't realize is the Arizona chapter is 165 members at the time of these business owners, diverse ages, businesses, skill, million to 200 million. But then you get put in these micro groups called forums of 10 and they become like your board of directors. This is where we really got into the goods of it because the beauty of EO is it's not about learning by way of schooling or education. It's by experience shares. So every time I had an HR issue or an insurance compliance or a business problem or a client debacle, somebody had a story to tell from their journey and it didn't have a direct relation as far as industry goes, but there's always a takeaway, right? An experience share. There's something there that I could learn from. And then not to mention the access to the preferred partners that they use during that challenge or the mentorship. And so that really was the pivotal moment for me as this graphic designer turned wannabe business owner to now hopefully being regarded as sophisticated business owner that excelled my operational wherewithal. And um, so I highly encourage if anybody's out there and feeling like they're on their own island to look for something like that. EO has an accelerator program. It's called Accelerator. It's zero to 999,000. You learn a lot about the nuts and bolts of the business. And then you move into EO. So much so I loved EO that I became chapter president. Um, I sat on the board for seven years and then I oversaw the organization as a whole and led the operation for two years and then had the privilege of traveling the world on behalf on a regional and global level. So the impact for me was significant. You asked a short question. I gave you a long answer. You're probably seeing a trend. In, uh, you're probably it. seeing a trend in how I respond. <laughs> Going back to how did I feel? Yeah, I was scared. Right? Dig it down to one word. I was super scared. That's totally normal. Normal to feel alone. Normal to feel like I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, somebody once asked me like, "What's the rule?" And I said, "There is no rules. You just follow your gut. Trust your intuition." You got to get comfortable being uncomfortable, and you will never ever know everything you need to do. You might have a an idea of the next step that you need to take. But one thing that V shared with us that's so, so very important, I can't stress this enough, is get around other like-minded people. There are people that even if they're not in the same industry as you, have gone through similar challenges. If you can get around, if you can mastermind with these people, if you can get in this group, you will be amazed at how much it can really accelerate your journey and your success because you're not just learning from a book. You're learning from real life experience. And that, to be honest, is a big reason that inspired me to to do this show. I'm a real estate guy, but I actually try to avoid real estate people on this show because that's my world. That's what I'm in a lot. I want to connect with people like V and and tech startups and software companies because there's so much that you can learn from other people in different industries. We've chosen different vehicles that resonate with us. But the challenges at the core of them are pretty much the same. Hiring and firing, right? Like payroll, marketing, lead gen, like all these things go into any business that you're a part of. So thanks for for sharing that that transition. And what I want to get into when we come back from a quick commercial break, V, is at what point did you like really notice this upswing of the business when you're like okay we're in this and it's really taken off so i want to get into that after we come back sounds great hey dallin schultz here with rev equity group we just launched an exciting new investment opportunity for those looking to diversify their investments across a thousand plus apartment units in some of the hottest markets in the country if you are fed up with banks and the stock market and want to invest in hard assets to more effectively grow and preserve your wealth, then click on the link in the show notes for more info 
or go to investwithrev.com and schedule a short 15-minute intro call so we can determine if our investment strategy is aligned with your goals. It's time to take your financial future into your own hands. Take action, schedule a call, and find out how my team can serve you. At Rev, we make apartment investing easy. All right. Welcome back to The Millionaire Mind. So right before the commercial break, I asked V to share with us a little bit about when she started really noticing and recognizing that this business was was taken off. You you heard her story, how she got started, and definitely a go-getter while surrounding herself with incredible people, which is so, so very important when starting a new business. So V, at what point along this journey were you like, oh, shoot, this is it. We're going full send here. Uh, gosh, there's a couple very vivid moments and memories in my life where I remember thinking, this is a perpetually stable business that's growing, right? And I talked about the kind of boiler room vibe and, you know, acting as if, and it got to the point where we were no longer that infant style business. Again, humble beginnings, we used to take cell phone and put it in a bowl on speaker. And that was our conference room phone, right? Or, you know, little things like that. And we started realizing that there was a necessity for um, more sustainable and reputable elements of the business, right? So whether the tools that we were using or the software or the resources we were working with, but the real moment I realized that we were on to something is when the sales in this initiatives switched from outbound and you know us seeking those opportunities to leads inbound of which we had so many we couldn't process and i started to look for these see through threads these themes as to why these opportunities were in abundance and what i realized as because of us doing good work which is obviously important the advocation of our clients was gold, right? Their experience of not only having great creative or great advertising or results-driven deliverables, but more so the transparency that they were experiencing, the relationships they were building within my team, the fact that they felt like we were in the trenches. There were a lot of agencies that weren't practicing that philosophy and these clients were feeling burned, right? And so we were starting to build this reputation and advocation and these, these brand soldiers, our clients. And that's a moment where I realized like we're on to something very different than a lot of maybe a lot of firms aren't capitalizing on, which is, again, seeking first to understand being that partner. Um, and we we died on that sword. We said, we have an opportunity to continue what we thought was common practice. What we realized is it really wasn't that common. And that was the differentiator that we were projecting um, in a really humble manner, of course. But um, we led with that narrative. And that was the acceleration of what became, you know, going from the subleased small space to the 1600 square foot office to the 5,000 square foot office to the 9,000 square foot office, right? And the growth. And because of that reputation, we started to get a lot of inquiries for staff. Staff wanted to come to start working with us. And that's an amazing experience when people want to follow you, right? They believe in your vision and they're hearing about your reputation. Um, and so the the culture growth and the building of that is just as important as growing the business at the same time. So now I've got two businesses I'm running. I'm running culture, people, management, and I'm running advertising, marketing, and PR. 
I probably I, have another d- dozen opportunities I could share with you of like, oh, okay, we can't look back. But that was the biggest one for us. When you started experiencing that inbound and people are referring people your way, that's gold as a business owner. Like, sure, every company should have KPIs, key performance indicators that you're tracking, calls, things that are being made. But there's a lot that we do that we don't see an immediate result. We don't know if this was the right move. And I don't know if you feel the same way, V, but I know a lot of times in my business, it's like, hey, this feels like the right move, but it might take six to 12 months to see if it pans out. And so when you start seeing that swing of people coming to you, that's when you gain confidence in those decisions at those times you felt like you were just trusting your gut. Now, what was the time frame? How long did it take for you to get to that point where you felt like this swing or the shift happened? There's an incredible book out there, The Journey. I think it's called The Seven Steps. I can't remember it. I'll have to reference it later. But there's a journey of all these different steps, right? It's journey to 1 million, journey to 5 million, 7, 10, and then beyond. And I remember right around the 5 million-ish mark was one of those major milestones for us. But more so from a time perspective, it was year seven specifically where I realized we had really grown into our shoes, right? We had been acting as if we had been talking about these principles. We owned those principles now. We dominated in that category. And that was a moment of clarity for us. It's like, we no longer have to act as if. We no longer have to, you know, continue to stretch beyond. We were in this space of clarity where we could really champion that reputation. And that's a very powerful place when you feel like all of these pillars that you've built as a business owner are now really solid, really steady, right? And then it's augmenting on that really strong foundation. It's no longer risk where you're constantly fixing problems and fires, right? Those fires are pretty dormant now. Now it's just fine tuning and pulling levers and turning dials. As entrepreneurs, I think we kind of create problems out of nothing. Sometimes I'm always looking for opportunities to level up, sophisticate, optimize. And that was right at that seven year mark where I noticed it wasn't like, we need a new process for this. We need a new person for that. Right. It was more about how do we get better with what we have? Seven years. And I appreciate you sharing that because I've recognized this reoccurring theme with business owners and it's typically between year five and 10 Okay, that that, that they like they, they see the swing, they see the shift. What advice could you give to the business owner that might be in year two or three and just wants to throw in the towel? They're not seeing the success as quick as they want. They're getting frustrated. What advice could you share with somebody in that situation? Oh my gosh. I remember feeling that way at year two or three. We were small, we were lean, felt like every challenge that could possibly happen was happening. I'm like, man, this is so hard. Is this worth it? Not so much advice. I don't love to give advice, but I'll give an experience share. Um, I remember thinking risk over reward. I had an I had an amazing experience actually. Uh, I was doing a workout last week. I'm a big Peloton lover, and I heard this quote. It said, "I don't want it 100, percent but I want it one percent more than I don't." In that two to three year, holy heck, what did I get myself into? Mentality. I realized that the challenges I was facing actually were opportunities for growth for me to be better. And I'll take that plate, that buffet of challenges over what I had left behind any day, right? I had entrepreneurial spirit, I could, you know, further populate my vision. I had the independent ability to make those decisions and the autonomy to how to spend my time. 
And that to me is that 1% more than what I didn't want. Right. So I dug in, it's not for everybody, right? That's okay. That's okay. You know, there's a reason why only 1% of the businesses that start succeed beyond the five-year mark. It's because it's hard and we get it. I totally understand. Did you feel like there was something internal that just really kept pushing you? The really crude answer is desperation. <laughs> I just needed money. <laughs> I, you know, I had to climb out of this financial hole that was created by somebody else. And I wanted to take back my life. So that's kind of the crude answer. When I realized that I had a talent to create impact in other people's lives, that's really what became that entrepreneurial fuel for me. And when I saw that at the end of the tunnel financially, and then I was cultivating this community of like-minded creative misfits who had this shared vision for doing something different, that became the, the new gasoline that empowered my spark to become what I pride myself as a leader today. I've got a question for you. This is something I've pondered, and I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. I believe, and I'm starting to think that everybody has a, a, a flame of entrepreneur spirit in them. It just may not have experienced the fuel or the oxygen that it needed to really take off. And uh, and the reason I share that is because one, I experienced it in myself personally, but I'm hearing story and time and time again of these people that didn't know that it was really in them until they looked back and they're like, oh yeah, well, when I was a kid, I was selling baseball cards or doing this or doing that. My thought, my belief is that we all have it in us. It's just whether or not we engage it or tap into it. And sometimes it requires a an unfortunate event or thing in our life to really shake us up. And sometimes we just stumble into it. What are your thoughts about that? Do you agree with that? Do you disagree? I with do. That? I do. And again, I have a lot of thoughts. I promise I'll be more abbreviated. But the current chapter president of EO, his theme for this year is called Atomic Curiosity. And I love that theme for this year because the intention is about just what you said, igniting that spark. And Atomic Curiosity is really the intention of, yes, you have your routine, you do your things. But if you just got curious about one thing different every day, a new podcast, a sit down coffee with somebody different, that one very different small delta, that shift may ignite that spark, right? So being curious isn't for everyone, but I think we're all innately just born to be curious. I think that as we get older, we become nesthetized and we don't have that faith like a child anymore. But if we could condition ourselves and get the reps in to have that atomic curiosity, like Mike talks about in his presidency right now, um, and to ignite that spark, I think that that definitely could become something. And it doesn't necessarily mean running a multi-million dollar business. It could be leading a philanthropic organization, or even volunteering to be the troop leader of your daughter's Girl Scouts, right? Something that you didn't know that you had it in you, but you got curious about it and you tried it. It's pretty cool. And I think that curiosity is really where it begins. And it usually stems, in my opinion, from a point of being uncomfortable or dissatisfied with the current situation. You shared with us in your journey, you were working for a big agency. And you just didn't like the way things were being done. There was a moment of dissatisfaction that was already brewing. And then you had this unfortunate incident, which seemed to really be the catalyst to jumpstart everything that you've created today. And one of my favorite quotes at the end of, I'm not a musical person. I'm not a Broadway. I don't really care for those types of shows. But one of my favorite movies is The Greatest Showman. 
I love that I it, movie. I think it has great music and I just love the storyline behind it. Like this guy set out to do something that was beyond anything else that was created at the time. But at the end of that movie, there's a quote and it says, comfort is the enemy of progress by P.T. Barnum. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people get too comfortable with where they're at and it doesn't allow that curiosity to begin because they're good. They're comfortable. They don't want to try something new. They're afraid of what might happen if they mess up. Maybe they're making a good paycheck. They've got good benefits, whatever the case is. But I think it's not a matter of if, it's when something happens because I feel like God, the universe, whatever you want to refer to is pushing you to something of a higher potential. They like, I believe God knows our potential and knows what we can accomplish. And sometimes those events that happen for us, not to us, is kind of a kick in the butt to be like, hey, V, hey, Dallin, like, look, you can do more. This is your push to get you there. So those are just some thoughts that I've had just in my experiences around just life and business. And one of, um, I don't know if you're a tattoo guy, but I have a couple, you know, meaningful tattoos. And my next tattoo is going to be, there is always a way. Because there is always a way. I really don't take no for an answer ever. It kind of drives my husband and my kids nuts. But you're right. And the discomfort or the choke point or the friction is the volume being turned up to see through that and say, I can be an optimist here and I can either sit in the swamp or I can do something about it and I can be a catalyst of change. We have an agency-wide program called quarterlies where we do all hands meetings the entire day once a quarter and i bring in keynote speakers and the upcoming theme for next friday's quarterly is being an agent of change trying to instill that same philosophy with my team of like if you're hitting a roadblock or you're getting that no or you're feeling that friction there is a way and you have the power inside of you to get through around above below however it may be there's always a way to get there and that is what differentiates i think entrepreneurs from the rest is we don't take no for an answer. Hardly ever, right? We're, we're kind of stubborn. Yes. <laughs> Not kind of, we are. Let's yes. be honest. V, it, this has come out through a lot of the comments and stories and experiences that you've shared. You've created an incredible culture in your company. Thank you. How did you ensure that you were able to implement that into your own company to a point where it overflowed to what you're able to provide to your clients? The industry is fast it's hard. It definitely requires people to perform from a place of heart. And that can be very emotionally taxing. And you think about the fact that we probably get the most of these people during their day, right? We're spending long hours together. We're cultivating ideas. It's a tender environment. And that can be tumultuous. You know, all of the movies that you've seen about agency, that's it's all true right? Late hours, last minute meetings, all those things, the Don Draper story. However, what I have found is that when I cultivated a safe place to work, so culture is very different than what people probably imagine of like dogs in the office and booze and casual workwear and music. We have all of that, right? I'm wearing ripped jeans today. We've got three dogs in the office and there's a beer fridge right upstairs, just as you would expect. And music is literally blasting right outside of my window here. Um, Culture for us is the brand promise or the truth of a safe place to work. And what does that mean? One of my favorite books is uh, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. And she talks about rumbling. And rumbling means that getting that constructive feedback out early and often is cultivating an awareness of connection. And it's out of love. It's not about pointing fingers. It's about bringing people along and making them better. And so 
I kind of have to untrain staff when we hire them because they're used to being very cards to the chest and this is my account and I have to take this to the finish line and, and not be vulnerable and not be exposed that I'm struggling. We um, retrain our staff to work together to bring people along to be vulnerable when they're feeling like they're in a crunch or they're feeling challenged. And because of that, that permeates into the work because the work is a collective, which then the results are better, the ideas are better. And I believe that clients hire agencies, not because, yes, the expectation is you're going to do cool stuff and it's going to make money for the client, right? That's expected. I think people hire agencies today because they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves, bigger than their business. They want to be a part of a community that's thinking beyond the confines of the conventional. And so when you've got a group of people within the culture who believe in constructive feedback, the ethical business, and being a safe place to work and appreciating everybody's opinions and eliminating those tireless hierarchies of politics, that juju carries over to clients. Clients feel that energy, right? And then the, the kinetic connection that comes out of that partnership is like you use the phrase gold. It's just, it's award-winning. It's awesome. Right. And that perpetuates into a longstanding relationship. There's trust there. So in our business, we're selling trust over, love, over anything else. Yeah. I love that. And there's a word that stuck out to me when you mentioned community. Mm-hmm. I believe, I feel that as people, we need that human connection. We do like, we could go back and talk about the impact COVID had on the personal connections with people, but we won't get into that here. But you're absolutely right. People want to be a part of something bigger. If you're going to a marketing agency, an advertising agency, yeah, the expectation is that they're going to create quality work for you. Like That doesn't make you unique. What makes you unique is your why. Right. And there's a book by Simon Sinek that talks yeah, about that. Start with why. Start with Love why. It. And that is about your community, the culture, the the feel that people get when they interact, not just with you as a business owner, but to everyone else in the company. And I think that says a lot more. If somebody can interact with one of your employees, one of your partners, and the messaging, the feel is the same across the board, that's powerful. That means you got community. It shows that you're on the same page and it builds trust. It builds confidence in potential clients. Now, one of the challenges that I could foresee happening here in the near future, V, is with all this AI, all this people going digital and kind of taking the human interaction out of it. How is your company planning on maintaining that personal interaction while still leveraging the powerful tools that are being presented to us in this day? Yeah, I relate this to back when I was an old crusty, you know, designer a long time ago and you know, we didn't have Photoshop or Illustrator and we were doing mechanicals and paste ups. And when Adobe came out with all these tools, we were all worried that we were gonna be out of a job, right? This the system was basically doing what we did. And that's how I relate AI to us. So we have been extremely proactive and saw this coming. And and AI is very powerful in our industry because it can be utilized as a tool to make us better. But the reality is, is that you can't seek the human element in AI. You still need the people and the intuition and the creativity to align with these tools to really become a successful hybrid of this. We've been using AI for a long time as an agency, but one of the things that we realized, and again, a differentiator last November is we've been doing this kind of formulaic system that we have been providing to clients 
which is strategic thinking for what comes next. And AI really relies on previous data, right? Like yep, yep. from now past. And so we come up with this practice for what you call it called stratagem. And stratagem is really a philosophy of how we utilize these tools, these AI um, intricacies, and align that with a lot of our human intelligence to define those GPS coordinates for clients. So we embrace AI. We don't see it as a threat from efficiencies to creative. You know, my team is working on a really large campaign right now for a predominant higher education college. The efficiency of us not having to sketch storyboards for this commercial and to communicate to the client what these snapshots, these moments are going to look like. We just save the client a ton of time. We could get to the concept faster client appreciates the value. We're getting to the work quicker than we would have preferred. It's a beautiful thing. If people aren't teaching their team members how to embrace and use AI on a daily basis, investing in that education, that time and carving that out, you're sticking your head in your sand, in the sand a bit, right? This is the reality of business as it stands today in all industries. And we're excited about it. And you said it perfectly. It can be a very, very powerful tool. And you still need that human interaction. I know for me personally, this probably doesn't apply to other business owners. I have an idea of what I want our brand to look like, what our website to look like. I have a very hard time communicating that. It takes somebody with a keen eye, ear, and mind to take my jumbled explanation of what I'm trying to accomplish and create something basically out of nothing. Like that is extremely difficult to do. Because if I was to take my thoughts and ideas to an AI generator, trust me, I've done this, it spits stuff out. I'm like, what the heck is that? That's not at all what I was trying to convey. So I think it's very important to acknowledge, to your point, AI is here. It's not going away. And every business should be finding ways to implement it in one way or another. But don't allow that to take away from that community and that in-person interaction that you need to have as a business owner to truly make that impact that I think a lot of us want to accomplish. So appreciate you sharing that. We're coming up on time here. This went way too quick, (laughs) but as we start wrapping this up, there's four questions I like to ask every guest at the end of the show. But before we get into those, what's next for you and the James Agency? Where are you guys going? Oh my gosh, it's such an exciting time here. We've had banner years, year over year since COVID. We just signed additional expansion lease for more space, 4,000 square feet. So our theme this year was expand, which we predicated back in December of 2022. Had no idea how that would materialize this year. We brought on some incredible staff and talent and clients and the requirement for us to physically expand as well is a testament to that hard work for my leaders and my staff in contrast to maybe a lot of the work from home collaborations my team loves to be here they love that connection so that's very exciting um we're coming into our busy season and we look forward to award season which is always a great experience for my team but more importantly we're really refining what we you know we're calling that that stratagem we're really refining that And we're sticking that flag in the ground right now because we think that's the next philosophy or the next intention of where marketing is headed with the AI, you know, moving in so aggressively. And more importantly, we're really expanding our client footprint. Uh, It's been a really incredible experience to continue to engage on a coast to coast, border to border capacity. 
So all good things. Who's to say what 2024 will provide for us, but the future is definitely bright. Love it. And share with us, if you will, what does your ideal client look like? What types of businesses do you typically work with? Thank you for that opportunity. We focus primarily on the middle market. We do love some startups, but again, going back to that ethical business and being able to understand and have that fiduciary capacity to engage an agency. While we would love to work on enterprise businesses, we still like to have that deep connection with either the founders or the chief marketing officers, which is that sweet spot, that middle market. We love experiential brands. We still have hotels and restaurants, but we're also working in the tech and SaaS and medical again, connecting that business to human. So we have a relatively discerning discovery process to find that perfect client. And I could spend a lot of time talking about the perfect client or the not perfect client. But if you're cool and you've got a really cool business (laughs) and you believe that you've got a differentiator in the wherewithal to beat the competitors, we'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Well, as we wrap this up, what is one absolute book recommendation for those looking to scale and further develop their millionaire mind? Uh, Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Excellent book. Really understanding that was a big pivotal moment for me is not having to do everything myself and being okay with letting go. Incredible book. Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. I can't recommend that enough. Great choice. What has been one of your favorite quotes that you've embodied and lived by? My dad is a longstanding naval officer. And one of the quotes that he shared with me in my early life was many hands make for light work. So going back to who, not how, right? Bringing people along, you can go much further. Um, You don't have to do it yourself. I love that. If there was one thing you could share with fellow business owners, so this is V's golden nugget out of your years of business and experience. What is that one thing you could share with fellow business owners that are beginning or simply trying to get to that next level? There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of competitors. There's a lot of influence out there. As a business owner, you have to trust your inner truth and your inner power. That's powerful. Very, very powerful. Well, V, how can our listeners learn more about you and the James sure. Agency? And um, all social platforms at the James Agency, we're very active. And uh, of course, our website, thejamesagency.com. We'd love to hear from you, whether it be a phone call or a letter or smoke signal or messaging <laughs> bird, whatever works for you. Um, we love having these types of conversations and uh, we look forward to having those connections. Awesome. Well, look, this has been an incredible conversation with V. And if this is your first time listening, I'm so glad that you tuned in. People have been asking me what my company does. So since I have you here listening to my show, I'll share that with you now. My company partners with busy professionals just like V that are lucky to experience significant tax savings, have more to invest and even reinvest their hard-earned capital. And we work with other successful business owners like you by offering them opportunities to invest alongside us in large apartment deals. At Rev, we found that most successful business owners really have a strong desire to give and to serve. And we simply provide a vehicle to enable them to grow and preserve their wealth so they can give up their time and financial success more abundantly and freely. If you've been wanting to get involved in apartment investing, but have been too busy to figure out where or how to start, then you can find out how I could serve you by visiting investwithrev.com and schedule a quick 15-minute discovery call. Many people think that they need millions of dollars to get started investing in apartments, and I'm here to tell you that is not the case. It could be overwhelming vetting the right investment and the right operator, but at Rev, we make apartment investing easy. V, again, thank you so much for your time and just sharing your incredible journey. I just 
I love hearing of the the struggles, the grind, and somebody that just didn't have that overnight success. I mean, it, you spent what was that? Nineteen years now you've been in business. Almost, yeah. Nineteen years, and I'm sure looking back, you can just appreciate all the ups and downs. So, thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. It's been a privilege, and I appreciate the opportunity to share. Awesome. And to our listener, remember, you can't have a million dollar dream with a minimum wage work ethic. So go out there and earn your win for today. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Hope you got value from this episode of The Millionaire Mind, a journey into the mindset of successful business owners. If you want to get results, you've got to take the right steps to get there. Dallin hosts a free weekly educational webinar focused on teaching you how to start investing in apartments so you too can experience the benefits of real estate ownership without doing any of the heavy lifting. There you can gain insights, connect with others like you, and ask Dallin all your burning questions about how you can start owning apartments today. Go to themillionairemind.us. That link is in the show notes.